The moment that we saw it, we knew that was the missing link and the missing piece on the, a music competition show. That turning chair and that spinning chair was that secret ingredient X that got us into the show we always wanted to make. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. All right, here we are. We're rolling. Welcome 2019, first podcast of the year. Honored to be here at the legendary Universal Studios lot here at the NBC offices to talk about The Voice. Um, you know, this really, frankly, is the biggest show, certainly in Unscripted, of the last decade. It's an incredible story that I think we're going to get to the bottom of today uh, with, on my right, Meredith R., the president of the NBC Alternative and Reality Group, which also includes uh, the continued oversight of a division she recently founded, the Universal Television Alternative Studio. And on my left, the incredible Emmy Award-winning showrunner, Audrey Morrissey, who has been with The Voice with Meredith and the team since day one. That is true. That All, is true. Yes. You know, we're double digits this season now. We're 15, 16 we're going into. Yeah, we're in 16. Right? Yeah. And to be with Shocking. Somebody, yeah, it's it's Exciting pretty... to be 16 seasons and yeah. hoping for 16 more. Gunning for it. Going for it. Going to make it happen. You said it. You put it into the universe. That's right. Meredith just nodded, so it's official. I right? did. Exactly. Yeah. See? Yes. We... <laughs> Peas in a pod, right there. We knew it would last this long. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll find out today really what you thought it was going to be. So thank you both so much for your time. Happy New Year to everyone here. And uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. So we start every episode really with the light bulb. Now, I know this was a foreign format. And so the light bulb happened somewhere in the Netherlands. But the light bulb here in the United States, what was the first time you heard about the show? Sort of what was going on in your mind back then in 2011? You know, Idol was still kind of reigning supreme. And, you know, what was when you first time you heard about The Voice or was this specific, like we have to have our music show? You know, what was going on in the NBC hallways? Yeah, a lot of people don't actually know the origin story of how The Voice came about to NBC. And the first time that I saw it, it was like most people, just YouTube clips from a crazy show we had heard about. We have intelligence on the ground all over the world who are telling us about shows that are popping up. And a show had just premiered in the Netherlands, and it was created by John DeMaul, who, as we know, is a legend in our industry and has been the creator of so many iconic formats. Uh, and it was called The Voice of Holland. And the moment that we saw it, we knew that was the missing link and the missing piece on the, a music competition show that we were already developing secretly at NBC with Mark Burnett, with Audrey Morrissey. And we'd already been casting contestants. We had already been looking for talent for a panel. And we it, it actually was 
the that turning chair and that spinning chair was that secret ingredient X that got us into the show we always wanted to make. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So Audrey, do you remember really the creative of what that initial show was and maybe how it differed from the voice? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's funny. We were thinking about it before. It's kind of hard to remember exactly what it was because the voice is so ingrained. But an essential component of the show we were developing was that coaching mentoring aspect. That was the thing that really NBC brought to the table to Mark and then me saying, we want to do a music show. Um, we feel like uh, now's the time for us to jump in. And we feel strongly that for a sh music show to be on NBC, we want it to be steeped in that mentoring coaching aspect. So that was something we were running with. And we were developing, um, you know, a full format with that being the foundational sort of ethos of what that would the show. And uh, and we were, you know, running, running down the, the lane with that. And we were getting into casting, casting of the panel. Um, we were talking about like pairs of people. Um, there were going to be like coaching mentor pairs in that show um, and getting into casting of, of, you know, singers and the whole thing. I mean, getting set designs. I mean, it was a, it was a thing. It was happening meetings. And then I do remember around Thanksgiving ish time, 2010, getting a call from NBC basically saying, Pencils down. <laughs> we found the format. Um, we want you to do it. Uh, here's some links. Right. Like, watch the show. Yeah. And the ultimate goal of the coaching and the was the idea that of, of taking people who were already incredibly successful in their field, taking a moment and taking a moment out of their lives to give back to the next generation of artists. We had that in our heads. We weren't calling it coaching. I think we were calling it mentoring at the yeah. time. But yeah. the ultimate goal, and one of the reasons why Audrey, who I had never met before, Mark introduced us and, and brought her into the project, was to uh, coach people and mentor people to the, to the point where we would see exponential growth in their abilities and their performance in, in their, that we could witness an actual transformation on stage. And I would, I remember putting on my wall and my bulletin board, two words, characters and relationships. And the idea that not only would the mentor be giving something to that next generation, but that that new artist would be giving something back and we would be seeing something really authentic on the screen. Well, I think you're touching on something also, you know, the voice, and we'll touch on this later, gets talked about a lot for bringing massive celebrities to television in a way that maybe wasn't the case in the earlier 2000s, early history of, of unscripted TV, but the kindness, mm -hmm. right? At the time, it was all about who's the meanest, you know, who's the snarkiest, you know, cutting people down. And I, I mean, at least from my estimation, The Voice was one of the first shows, if not the first show, that really cracked that code of, we're going to really help people. I mean, I guess Project Runway had done it, yeah. certainly, but you know, this on a whole nother level. And I mean, is that something you guys have always sort of kept true to the thesis of the show? 
certainly in all of our early conversations of the show that it was it was a radical idea at the time that you didn't need to be tearing somebody apart on screen in order to a you know get entertainment value or to um, have the best product at the end of the day. I mean, actually, in the first season of The Voice, we did we wondered we were we were fearful that we were going to be too soft. And we did have a couple of, let's say, uh, William Hung-like characters um, go out on stage. They didn't get a chair turn. It was incredibly awkward. And we only put one out there. After that moment, mm-hmm. we sent the others home and we said, That's, this is not the voice. Other people can do that, but that's, we, we would say things, this is not voicey. Here we go. This is not voicey. That's not, this is in, in all across the creative, but specifically what the contestants were going to be. And, you know, certainly the, the, the coaches themselves, you know, just in their own human knowing what it was like to be an artist at one point and would never have liked somebody to speak to them that way. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a radical idea. I think, um, it really started to help define the NBC alternative brand and other shows follow suit. Even America's Got Talent went a little, you know, more of the constructive criticism route and they went to be much more positive and joyful um, after watching The Voice. They were inspired by it. Yeah. And it also that aspect of it helped. You, you mentioned, you know, the amazing talent we have on the show, but that is a key component for that major stars were attracted to come on to the show because it was kind-hearted, because it was paying it forward and giving back. Um, So that was a show they wanted to be around. They also really wanted to be part of a show um, that really um, judged people on voice alone. Like those blind auditions were so innovative And really the idea that you only have your voice to compel a coach to turn their chair, nothing else. Like you're getting your shot, whether you feel like because of your appearance, either you're too beautiful or you feel like you're not beautiful enough um, would affect you negatively. or any other things that might be in your head that you think would be, you know, affect your chances. Here you are. You're, you know, do you have what it takes to turn a chair? And, um, or turn multiple chairs. Or multiple chairs, but you only need one, you know, to get that, sure. get on the show and, and to be validated. But that was really um, innovative and incredible and also for the coaches that have, you know, we've been lucky enough to have them join us, um, a big factor for them. They also really related to the idea that typically for, for them in their careers, where they, where the public first got, came in contact with their artistry was through radio mm-hmm. or streaming, like through voice alone. Like that is what you need to make it. So the idea that that was the entry point into the show really resonated with them. Um, and that plus the kindheartedness was, you know, it's it became a very easy thing to get people to do the show. 
So back then, none of them needed to be on television. Um, they were working successful in their own rights and, you know, weren't like, you know, putting it out with their agents that they really wanted to look for a gig, but it was really the message of the show and the sentiment behind it yeah. that they wanted to endorse. I do want to just kind of go back in a time machine, though, of 2010, that really the the only massive star that was on the show and it was a huge get and we were praying every day and waiting to find out if she would say yes but it was Christina Aguilera and you know since then the show I mean Blake was incredibly successful in the country world but you know on a mass level and even to the other artists uh, even to the other coaches they didn't know who Blake was and Adam we had to explain to people even in NBC he's the lead singer of Maroon 5, you know, that guy, and show the picture. Oh, yeah, of course. They didn't know him by name. CeeLo, you could explain, Gnarls Barkley and Forget You had just come out. The timing was perfect. But it wasn't like these were household names. Christina was really the linchpin um, in terms of, A, representing this is the voice, yeah. you know, he, he talk about a voice of a generation, but also the fact that she was such a massive get and superstar. The fact that we got her to come onto our panel, that was like a, that was a game changer. Yeah. And I'm sure you paid handsomely for that. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> she did okay. Yeah. But it yeah. obviously, as yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have, and the only female judge, yes. you know, on the panel. And sure. so I mean, let's talk about the casting. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, like what domino fell first was when Christina came on board. Was that when it was like, yes, we're doing the show? Or did you have the other three first? Do you remember the order of how it all went down? Do you remember convincing well, Christina? Like well, what, what that pitch was like? You know, the, first of all, the show was happening, yeah. right? Because we were already doing a show and we just pivoted to, well, now we're doing the voice. So particularly we, after we got the rights to the voice and married it to the pr- production that we already had, had going. Yes. So that was, that was, you know, that was not in question. Gotcha. So and you bought the show without the talent a hundred percent. Correct. Board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You took the leap knowing we're going to get someone. We're going to get it. Mm-hmm. We're right. going to do it. So then it was who, and there were already conversations in the pipeline with the other show. So it was about looking at all those names and, Really, when you, at least it was our experience in this show, you don't really get anyone first. You're dancing with people, you're flirting with people, you're dating, you're checking in all the time, and you're talking like, yeah, we're going to do this, but you're not really doing it until everybody's kind of lined up and knows who they're going to be sitting with. Mm-hmm. And feeling good about it. And then everybody kind of holds hands and jumps and signs. And so... Also, the removal of one person. I mean, we really wanted to hit as many quadrants as we could with the panel. That if one falls out, that automatically might change the dynamic. So we had a a group of people and different cards we would move around on the table. Exactly. Yep. But we did know that we wanted to hit distinct genres you know, have different genres uh, represented on the panel. Um, and that worked out. So we had, you know, Adam. Yeah. But, but before, even before The Voice, I think mm-hmm. we we had 
we were talking about different people and I think we had reached out and we're talking to both Adam and CeeLo. Yes. Somehow they were, they were really good friends already at the yeah. time. So they called each other mm-hmm. and said, I'll do it if you do it. And yeah, like, that well, how, how are you feeling about this? Especially once we got the voice, but Christina was the first. Yeah, she was the one. Yes. I mean, we couldn't launch a show as Meredith said without a voice. <clears throat> so we ended up fortunately getting her. Um, Mark was very instrumental in locking her down and convincing her that this was something. But again, I distinctly remember her um, talking about the blind auditions. Like that aspect was something that really spoke to her. So with her, and we had Adam and CeeLo, then it was really about the fourth chair. And um, we had been thinking about country, but then, you know, Meredith really has... a played yeah. a role in the Blake idea. Yeah, we had a we had a bunch of different names that we were circling and they were all really great names and great people and it just happened to be Grammy weekend and we were still searching for that fourth sp- slot and we were, you know, the, we we're coming down was, to the wire. I think we were shooting in a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, so in it, March. Was, it was Grammy weekend and I got invited to an event at the Troubadour. It was Dirks Bentley's publicist invited me. It was a, a thing. I don't know if he still does it, but it was always the weekend of the Grammys where it's called Dirks and Friends. And he would host because all, all of his buddies would all be in L.A. And you went and Dirks would host the event. A friend would come out from any genre of music. They'd sing one of Dirks' songs together, and then uh, they'd flip and then sing the friend song together. So I remember Elvis Costello was there that night. Miranda Lambert was certainly there, but people from all different genres sort of popped out, and it was really, really fun. Blake Shelton pops out with his red solo cup, and he towers over Dirks, and he just owned the room. Not only was the music great, but he had everyone. It was a comedy show. And so that Monday I came in and we had worked with Blake before at NBC. He actually was, uh, he was on Nashville Star, but he was also on a show that only ran one year around Christmas. It was a stripped uh, Christmassy show called Clash of the Choirs. And it was on NBC and it was produced through BBC when Paul was a producer and he worked over at BBC Worldwide. So he made the deal with Blake and worked on Clash of the Choirs with him. So that Monday, I just kind of walked into the office and said, what about Blake? And he called Mark. Mark didn't even know who Blake was. Most people didn't, to be fair. And I remember Paul saying, do yourself a favor with that last slot. Put Blake Shelton in there because he's incredible to work with and so funny and just an absolute joy like you'll love every aspect of working with them and then it was it was done yeah yeah that it was it was right before we started taping yeah it was getting you were starting to white knuckle it like okay our tape dates showing up you know coming fast approaching and we only have three people so i love though in the story of blake but also the story that you touched on about how audrey you came onto the show you know, something I say a lot to my kids, um, you practice like you play, right? And I think in both of those instances, it wasn't the audition for this show or the format of this show. It was what you had done previously, right? Right? Mm-hmm. A different universe, you could have taken that format of the voice and said, thanks, Audrey. Thanks, Mark. Mm-hmm. We don't need you. We have this new thing and you lost, right? Right. If Blake hadn't done Clash of the Choirs, hadn't been amazing to work with, right? who cares how talented he was? If he'd right. been a jerk, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have chosen him. 
right? Because yeah. it was that dicey. And so, you know, for anyone listening out there, I think that's just one little bit of wisdom. You practice like you play. Be good to people. It may not be this show. It may not be this meeting. Mm-hmm. It may not be whatever, but the payoff may come down the line. It happens more often than people understand that a meeting you could have had that seemed insignificant, but then the right project comes along and you automatically go. And that is where a lot of times where we pick up the phone because we just, you know, you're, you're, you're almost like willing something in the universe to come yeah. together. But I'd also say, and I'm sure Audrey feels this way too. I mean, I was going to that concert for fun. I, br- I had friends from out of town who happened to really like country music and it was the reason why I said yes to it, to bring them. But like, we're all consumers, you know? We're all taking in entertainment. We know what we, f- and when you feel it, try to run with it and then turn it into something if you're creative or in yeah. this business. Well, and I think to that point, right. Mm-hmm. You went for fun and it changed, you know, altered this television history mm-hmm. and certainly many people's lives mm-hmm. because you decided to say yes. Right. And that's another thing. We can all get so trapped in our own little bubbles and it's so easy to just say no or stick to the things you like or your comfort zone. Just say yes. Just say yes. Completely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a more fun way to live. So, okay. So as we talk about the casting, right, I read an article um, that the Adam was quoted in and he said one of the reasons he signed up to do the show was nobody had ever heard him speak. Everyone heard him sing, but nobody had ever heard him speak. And it's interesting, and I know the voice gets, you know, if there is one criticism of the show that gets launched at it a lot is, oh, you haven't launched superstars, you know, the way that obviously Idol did in its heyday. But I would actually say you've taken big stars and made them superstars, yeah. right? You mentioned Christina was the only superstar, right? Adam, Blake, I mean, even Kelly Clarkson, now with her new talk show coming out with you, their star is on a level that it just, wasn't even maybe conceivable before, which is hard to imagine because they were all massive stars. I mean, is that something you, when did you recognize that that was the case? Is it something that you even didn't even necessarily go with that intention? Because now, right, you walk through the halls of this office and there's The Rock and there's (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres and Amy Poehler. And, you know, these people are huge effing stars who would have never done an unscripted show 10 years ago. So not 15 years ago. I mean, is that something you recognize that you were even doing? Sorry for my long-winded question. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think at the time we were like, we need to turn these people into, you know, certainly Adam is uh, part of the biggest rock band in the world right now and what he's doing. And everyone has benefited from the show, you know, personally, professionally, within the show and outside of it. Uh, I don't think that was the intention. We were trying to make a hit and we were trying to entertain people. I think um, when we talk about format, it's a genius format. And that sounds cynical. It's not. Because what it does is it bring, because of the gameplay and because of the authenticity, those coaches forget the cameras are there because they are making that connection and they're competitive with each other and with themselves and they are in the moment. And that is where I feel like the best television is born from. With, without a doubt. And, and I think the other thing about it, and it's so interesting to hear what Adam has related to you mentioned before, because it's really true. The Voice is an incredible opportunity for very famous people 
to have the public get to know them, the real them in a way that they don't really have other opportunities to show that side of themselves in a sustained and consistent way. So, you know, on The Voice, you have these four coaches and they're sitting in these chairs and they're being themselves. I mean, what are the other opportunities? Uh, You know, a Howard Stern interview, it's the chat shows. They're there typically to specifically promote something. But here they have a chance to do what they love to do, to be working with artists and singers and musicians and talking about music and helping with arrangements and helping them and coaching them and and also that competitive side too so you you really get a sense of people and i for one also got a sense of all these people i mean did i really know adam levine what he was like or blake or CeeLo or christina i only knew their public persona but i really couldn't make my own, you know, formulate my own opinion about them. For all of them, I mean, Usher, mm-hmm. Alicia Keys, I, I think of that all the time. I didn't know Alicia Keys had such a funny giggle, you know, like <laughs> all these little yeah. things, like, but, but now I do, you what's know. What's so interesting is that, you know, you, you bring up when new coaches would come in to the format, because starting in season four, I believe, we, we started to yeah. rotate, uh, put some new people in there, and they'd come in, you know, now less so because they've seen the show, and a lot of times you're a guest of the show before you're a, a coach, but in those early days, in the first switches, you know, people come in with their guard up a little bit, mm-hmm. and then then they forget, then they l- embrace the 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 feeling of the show and they again they forget that the cameras are there i will say too that it is the power of broadcast television specifically um the feedback you get from that mass audience it's like you could be the biggest rock star in the world you could be the biggest comedian in the world you could be the biggest movie star actor in the world when you are on a show where you are yourself and you are beamed into the living room for free (laughs) to millions and millions to that mass, mass audience, you make a connection with people. It is so intimate. And the amount of talent that has come up to me saying, I thought I was huge until I went and did America's Got Talent. I did The Voice or I did. It's the reason, that's the reason why the smart ones, the big talent, they they want to make that a part of the overall ecosystem and portfolio of what they do. I mean, Amy, people are running up to her. She goes, I guess everything I did before was was crap because everyone's <laughs> telling me how much they love. I never got the feedback that I did now because they feel a personal connection like I know you, you know, and um, it's really, really powerful. Well, being a celebrity and doing <laughs> one movie a year and then taking the other whatever 11 months off in the public's eyes, it's just not enough anymore, right? You have to, right. it's the personality driven thing, right? And even if you don't have a big Instagram, right? This is a way that people get to know you and mm-hmm. learn about your weird giggle Connect. or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and at least with the, you know, I can speak for the voice, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, they have a great time. They are what you see. They're really funny. They really love each other. They really love to give each other shit. Um, you know, they're competitive. None of these people would be where they are in their careers if they weren't hyper competitive. They care. 
they, you know, they might say, you know, it's, you might think, do you really care after all these seasons, so many people? Guess what? The answer is yes, they do. They care about imparting like great coaching on these people and taking them as far as they can go. And personally, they care about winning. They want to, they want to do it for them. They want to do it for their team mostly. Um, so that's what's great. I mean, that's all real and fun. I think the, the amount of text messages that Audrey gets oh, all gosh. through the night from uh, them when all over the world, just even about song selection. Song selection. You know, or yes. whatever, trying to advocate for the people on their team. It's endless. Yes. I yeah. hope you have unlimited data. Yeah. I do, I do, I do, yes. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all remarkable. In many ways, it almost sounds like you guys created a new sport, right? But instead of watching whatever LeBron and Steph Curry, we're watching Blake and Adam and and you know, Team Blake, right? Sure, yeah. yeah, Team yeah. Kelly, all that stuff. Yeah. And so you know, you talk about sixteen more seasons, right? Nobody talks about how many more seasons of the NBA there are going to be, right? And, right, right. It's just the voice is here to stay. It could no, just that's go on. it. But it's but now good. you guys, right? You started off wanting to take a bite out of, of out of Idol, and you took down the champ. Now you guys are the champ, and you've been the champ a long time. You know what? How does that drive you? How does that, you know, how do you assess each season to make sure outside of maybe changing the judging panel, whatever, to just make sure that you stay fresh? Because the numbers have been incredibly consistent over a really long run in a way that few shows have. Um, You know, I'll answer that. Um, We're really self-examining. Like we really are. We want to get an A, you know, (laughs) we're our harshest critics. So, um, we really do every season take a good hard look at how do we do? What can we improve? Um, how can we keep the show fresh? And we really um, sort of look at it on two levels. One is um, aesthetically, we don't want the show ever to feel dated. So every now and then we do refreshes, little things, things you wouldn't even notice, but just all these little things to just like keep it current. Um, we obviously swap out the coaches, um, and that's been a wonderful thing to bring a fresh dynamic, keep that fresh, even for the coaches to have a fresh person to be competing with, not knowing what they'll say or do that just keeps everybody fresh, which translates into more entertaining television. Um, also the other thing about adding a new coach in, you're never sure how big a draw they will be where the blinds, like if they're, if, like if it's a four chair turn, like, oh God, Alicia's gonna get everyone or whatever. So that brings out that competitive nature too. Um, but aside from that, we have introduced new format elements, um, but we've been very discerning about it and surgical about it. We'll only do it if we feel like it's very additive. And- um, If it's voicey. If it's mm-hmm. voicey, that's exactly yeah. right. The first major one we did was adding a steel. Mm-hmm. And that was in part um, due to, you You mentioned the sports aspect. You know, steel is part of the sports world. Um, and we also felt like that part of this season, after the blinds, we saw a little bit of a dip in ratings. And, you know, People 
can't get enough of that button, you know? <laughs> and how could we keep the coaches engaged? Because after the blinds, then they were kind of off in their own silos. The competition was only within their own team. So when their battle was up, they were engaged. But when they weren't, they were engaged, but not at the same level. So the steel gave them a reason to be more engaged fully the entire time. So things like that, we've added a block. We're, we're close to adding another big format um, tweak for this upcoming spring, which I will not share with you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we're mindful of that. We want to keep the show fresh, but we um, don't ever want to jump the shark with something. So Meredith, you probably have a couple dozen shows mm -hmm. in your portfolio right yes. now. So it's just not humanly possible for you to be as insanely granular mm -hmm. about any show, even one as important as The Voice, as it obviously is for you, Audrey. Um, so, you know, how, how does that affect sort of when you evaluate new shows, you know, and you think about working with new producers or old producers and new mm -hmm. formats? I mean... How much are you sort of really taking into account just the actual brain power you can put forth versus I'm going to do another show with Audrey because I know. Right. That the shorthand. Yeah, and, right. exactly. And just, you know, looking, especially in the more closed world of broadcast and people looking to try and break in. I mean, what would your advice be for people who are trying to break in who maybe aren't in the club yet? Or, you know, do you feel like it is more of a closed you know, society. Oh, it's definitely not a closed society. I think, and Audrey would agree with this, it, the voice or any successful show, it takes a village. It's an absolute team effort. The voice is, was as successful as it was and continues to be because of a, a result of hundreds of people working mm -hmm. at their top level, right? Everyone shows up. They understand that they're a part of something incredibly special. We knew that from the very beginning. You could feel it. Um, Audrey's an incredible leader because she lifts everybody up and is inclusive. And doesn't matter where you are on the pecking order or the food chain of the, of the project, all ideas are welcome. Mm -hmm. And not only welcome, like, sure, we'll listen to you. We're pulling it out. We, it's it's a matter of let's keep this family together. It's it's changed lives. It's put, you know, across the board, not just for the talent on screen, yeah. but people behind as well. Um, and that's so that culture is ingrained. I know that they're constantly thinking of ideas. If anything, it's like you know, they're chasing me down and chasing our executives down to just get the, f the feedback that w they can move forward because they're buzzing. If you can imagine two seasons a year, that also adds another layer of complexity to it. For new shows, most of my time is spent on the new because it is, it's to, to birth a new format and a new project and new IP where you don't, at least with the voice we had, we could watch the Dutch episodes yeah. and at least react. It was a pilot season to react to, to think, how can we add to that? How can we, you know, refine that piece, but also what was special about it so we make sure we don't lose that. Most of my time is spent on the new and really honing in. I know what it feels like to be behind the wheel of an A-class uh, um, format that you know is built to last. 
I think about that. I think about is this is the show scalable? The first season of The Voice I think was thirteen hours. It was. And now how many are we doing a year? <laughs> Between eighty and ninety. Yeah. And not all of them have to be that, but, you know, could we get to 20? You know, could we get to 30? Could we, you know, in the case of something like American Ninja Warrior or 40 for America's Got Talent, all of those shows started small. So you're sort of also thinking through the logistics of, you know, can the essence of this expand and can we make the show easier, uh, make it more affordable as you amortize it? So it's not reinventing the wheel every single episode. Um, it was one of the reasons why we wanted to put a sign on the door and create a studio and, and open the doors to not the usual suspects. Because when you are in a network position, if you ask any network executive, most of your day is spent on the receiving and your day is filled with people coming to you to pitch stuff that they've already been working on or to get decisions, right? Or watching cuts and giving notes and going to set and, you know, being on a production, but it's a, it's, it is a, it's a grind. And what we wanted to do is create a culture and an atmosphere where we have theoretically all the time in the world for you, right? <laughs> you never know when you wake up. It's the most exciting part of being in our business is you wake up in the morning and you do not know if the next huge idea is going to walk in that door. And if you don't have that mentality and attitude and energy, then you should go do something else because it's not going to come to you. The, the fact that we had already been developing and we had been casting artists and we had, you know, collectively had our team and understood where we stood. We, I can't tell you that NBC would have gotten the rights to the voice without the packaging that we had already and the, the work that we had already done. But I also don't know that we mentally, you know, would have been at the ready to recognize the voice for how special it was because it was the one thing that we were missing. So, I would say to anybody who's trying to break through, just try to think about any idea that is unique or how you can add value to the business or creating those relationships that you, like we say, you never know where it will lead to so that somebody's thinking about you when those ideas connect. But you have to put it out there in the universe so that when the right idea and the right connection is made, that it's all ready to go. Well, our time is running short. So I have a couple of questions I ask all the guests that I'd love to, to get to. Um, there's a new one I'm playing with. You guys get to be the guinea pigs, which is here. You didn't know necessarily this was going to be a hit, but you had a, you know, obviously a strong sense. You put a lot behind it. Um, I'd love to hear from you first, Audrey, um, maybe the one that got away. You know, was there another show in your career that obviously didn't reach the heights of this, but that you felt this is the one and maybe it didn't quite accomplish what you had hoped? Um, and is there any learnings from that? Oh, that's so hard because it's sort of like a Sophie's choice. Like, they're all your babies. Right. You love them equally. Um, but I will say this. Um, there was another show, and there is another show, that um, we developed, and it's happening. Um, Meredith bought it and greenlit it. Um, and it's called Songland. And it literally came out of my experience working on The Voice and recognizing that 
I was spending most of my time uh, sitting with all the coaches contemplating material and songs and really starting to understand that the that the real unsung heroes of the music business are songwriters. So for me, hopefully that's not the one that got away and it will also be like a huge success this summer. So I, don't, I can't really put a finger on when that went away. I just feel like, I, I will say this, there are definitely some, some um, projects that I was so passionate about and I just felt like I, I knew there was something there and it just didn't matter how hard I kept pushing the ball up the hill. It just wasn't happening. But those are the ones that, okay, fine. It's not happening right now. Let it push it to the side for a while. Start getting back to like your day job, what is working, but don't forget about it because it just might be timing. And a few years later, something will click like Meredith is saying, like just keep all the doors open that you can like attach a piece to that show. And you think this is it, that was a missing piece. Or like now, now the public is ready to accept this idea. Um, I was ahead of the curve. Um, so that, that process has happened a lot to me. But you, Meredith, is there one that got away, one you would have bet the farm on? I'm not going to, I can't think of one that keeps me up at night. I, what I would say is, um, uh, I've always said about this job, there's there's nowhere in the business where you have higher highs, but then lower lows. <laughs> and I've cer- we've certainly had things that bombed that I, you know, kept stayed up at night just wishing and hoping and we were crushing the day when you get the ratings but those are the things that's where you learn your lessons and some of my smartest decisions came because I learned from those failures and I think that it was it's the collection of the things that really work and the things that you know so that you get this inner gut I can't even describe it's a physical feeling when you know someone's about to make the wrong decision because you've been there before and I think that it's that experience that we bring to our projects and our future development that it ultimately is the difference between working and not working sometimes well and that's also another piece of advice I like to throw out is don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as an opportunity. Absolutely. Right? And it mm-hmm. sounds like you guys have spun it. Last question, and then mm-hmm. I'll let you get on with making the next hit. But um, advice to your younger self. And you kind of danced around this a little bit and some we just talked about. But, you know, 25-year-old Audrey, what would, what would you tell her as starting out her career, you know, to where you are today? Or wish you would have known? You know, I, I for me personally, I think it's about being fearless just if you have a thought if you have an idea just just actually do it don't think about it if you have the energy to like take it on just start just every day just try to keep making moves to do something or don't ever think like well it's just that's not what i do that's for other people it's like no do it try it and like meredith was saying like any mistake you can't underestimate how enriched you will be and how much positivity and goodness and education and knowledge will come to you by just trying. And I really believe that once you make a decision to jump, all these things kind of just 
materialize and opportunities and weird serendipitous things happen that otherwise would not have had you not just mentally and and really just proactively made a move in that direction. So I just say fortune favors the bold. Love it. Love it. What about you, Meredith? 25 year old Meredith. Yeah, 25 year old Meredith. I, I would the same. I would reiterate what she said. What Audrey says about being fearless, taking the leap. I mean, Audrey had never done a broadcast television show before. She had done tons of award shows and was accomplished in her own right. But kind of coming in, you never. She never sweated. She never let us see her sweat at once, and she just threw herself into the project and. No, we didn't know it was going to be hit, quite frankly. I mean, we were scared out of our minds. But if we had let that get in our way, where would we be right now? Um, I would say to anybody who's younger, and I spent a lot of time in the like my early days sitting in meetings and not really talking very much. And it's shocking because I talk quite a bit now. Um, but don't just be in a room. It's not enough to just sort of be there and be around something always be thinking about ways and ideas that can improve whether it's your business or a show or wherever it is that you're surrounding people just love to have any idea thrown at them so it's not on them all of the time and i think that too many people sort of bite their tongue and hold back because they think it's going to sound stupid or what it's amazing it's it's a muscle that you have to keep exercising and practicing to sort of get your voice heard. It's fantastic. A friend told me recently that it's a lot easier to do the impossible than the average because nobody's buying the average. So go for the impossible. And I love this advice. I think you both are credible role models for people in our industry. You've built really one of the most important franchises in you know 21st century. And uh, yeah, just thank you. Keep spinning those chairs. Oh, thank you, Noah. <laughs> thank Appreciate you so much. <laughs> So there you have it, the story of The Voice. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you as well to my guests, Meredith R. and Audrey Morrissey, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.